and welcome to the first race review of the 2022 F1 season. And what a race. It was a good race, I think, actually. I think you can say what a race and it'd not be a barnstorm of a race, I think, which is our opinion here. Um, and the hour is me, Freddie Coates, and my co-host, Nigel Chu. We're going to go through all the little storylines from the 2022 Bahrain Grand Prix, which was won by Charles Leclerc for Ferrari, a 1-2 finish for Ferrari with Carlos Sainz alongside him in second, and a fortunate podium for Lewis Hamilton in third for Mercedes after an implosion of the Red Bull Challenge. Nigel, how are you? Did you enjoy the race? What what do you, are you looking forward to talking about today? I did enjoy the race. Yeah, I thought it was uh, not quite as good as last year's season opener, but that was the best season opener I think I've seen. But this year was still very, very, very good. We had a lead battle strategy played a massive part. We had some unexpected moments as well. So I think it was a, it was, it was a great race overall. And the Ferrari won two, first one for what, four years. Uh, they, it's right that the back at the front, I think, and McCullough, he was absolutely outstanding. Yeah, Ferrari are where they should be. And I completely agree. Leclerc was on another level this weekend. He, he, was, he took pole by, by about a tenth and a bit to Verstappen in second and a similar gap to his teammate Carlos Sainz in third. And it didn't really look kind of like he had any issues with the car. I mean, since testing, we've talked about Ferrari being handling well, Leclerc being able to be aggressive from the off with that car. And it didn't look like he had any issues. You think know, Ferrari has really just nailed this regulation change and it's just given Leclerc just that kick up the backside that he's needed. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, before qualifying, and even during qualifying, he wasn't looking like vintage Leclerc. He had a few spins at turn uh, 11, last left, uh, medium speed, uh, left-hander. But then when it mattered most in Q3, he hooked it up with a brilliant, with a great lap to snatch it away from uh, Verstappen. And that's what the great drivers do. They pull it out when it matters most, when the conditions are cool, uh, when the conditions are at their best. And they managed to stick it on pole, pole just like Leclerc did. And then in the race, he was absolutely, absolutely flawless. His battle with Leclerc, he was up. Uh, his battle with Verstappen, he was so smart. And I think that was the key moment, really. And then his tyre management as well. We've seen that scenario that he's improved over the last couple of years. I raved about it last year during his drives at Silverstone, uh, Russia, Turkey, and I'm sure there's a few more that I can't remember right now. But we've seen it coming, and this accumulation of Ferrari building towards 2022, the club maturing, getting more experience, it's all come at the right time, and he delivered. So if he can do that, it's going to be tough to beat. And I think, I think that was it, really. He had the upper, he had the upper, upper hand on sides as well, which was key. So he's laid that marker down. He's laid the marker on Red Bull as well. So it couldn't have been a better weekend, really. Yeah, I think you're right about about praising Leclerc because it is very easy to say, well, we always we've always known Leclerc is a very good driver, and now he's got a car that just puts him in first. Because that point about him beating Science quite convincingly, this arguably is Science's worst weekend at Ferrari, and mm. he's finished a convincing podium, a and in second place, but with a convincing third place in the bag all race, all weekend, you could say. So. For Leclerc to be on that level above Carlos Sainz so readily, really, I think, is is excellent. And probably testament to the fact that I think you have that kind of extra tenth or two when you can sense a win. I I, I kind of think there's a, a few drivers who can, who can compete like that. Famous, famous drivers for it are kind of the Mansells and the Hamiltons who can just be relentless. And I think Leclerc is showing kind of elements of that in this kind of performance where he can just slightly put to bed Carlos who is relentless and will get better and better as it goes on because that's just how Carlos science works he just he's, he just absorbs information and how to drive a car whereas Leclerc can just he's got an ounce of just skill um yeah. not that science doesn't but just that the rawness of it you can just bring that extra element to it um, yeah I think he's got a bit more natural Ability, I think, perhaps done sites like slightly. We're talking tiny margins here because that's what okay. F1 is all about. So, and Bahrain as well. The club, he was in his uh, F, he made his F2 debut there. 
uh, and he was he got he had that famous win in the in the sprint race where he made a pit stop and came through the field to win. So and then also with F1 in his second race, he got pole position there, beating Vettel, and he should have won that race, but then he had an engine problem. Uh, so it's a track that he goes well that he goes well at. So I don't think Sarge should be too disheartened. I think he he, he will come back. Uh, it's just Leclerc was the best driver this weekend. Yeah, and one of the things that Leclerc managed to absolutely nail was the way he puts to bed reigning world champion Max Verstappen. Nigel, you alluded to there how he um, was able to completely just show show Verstappen second place and tell him to stay there, really. And with just some real clever racecraft, sort of midway through the race in the second stint. Um, now, I think we've both got a few opinions on this. And I think the first opinion you've already alluded to, which is, Leclerc was incredibly clever in that racing. But do you think Max Verstappen left a bit to be desired? I think he had a scrappy weekend overall. And I think that battle, that three-lap battle, the amazing three-lap battle, that was just one part of it. I think, looking back, he could have got the move done. He perhaps could have done a block pass at turn one where he parks the car on the apex. He could have been a bit smarter uh, with where he positioned the car through turns uh, through through the first corner as well to try and give himself a better run up to turn four. I think if Verstappen looks back at it, he'll think, I should have got that moved on and that would have changed the complexion of the, of the race. So I think he'll be annoyed at that and then, you know, not getting pulled as well, not leading the race early on and then just on the team radio, he sounded a bit, just not quite as, calm as usual and I'm, I'm not sure why but it just seemed a bit rattled to me uh but yeah with that battle I think he'll look back and think I missed the chance there and Leclerc just outfoxed him there really yeah I completely agree I think he definitely sounded rattled but Rebel have been quite candid in sort of um batting that away with the amount of issues he was facing through the through the race with brake issues, steering issues that came on late, and then the, the fuel pump issue that eventually did cause him to DNF and his teammate uh Sergio Perez. But I do kind of think I agree his racecraft was it seemed a bit thick. It, it mm. seemed like after two opportunities of having a you know a good lunge up into term one, you can you can you then know surely that Leclerc is letting you through for the DRS and then Leclerc just is so aggressive into turn four in Leclerc's sort of repass that why would he be so tame into turn one I feel like mm-hmm. I figured that out straight away and you thought Max would have been able to or at least someone on the radio would come consider overtaking at turn four um but I mean I know driver coaching can get a bit funny about um but I did just kind of think yeah particularly the third lunge where he then just locked up his tires and Leclerc yeah. didn't even have to pass desperate. him to turn four yeah it looked desperate and it kind of it just it seemed to be it took the commentators by surprise as well a couple of times because I think they kind of expected him to wait till turn four. And like you say, it would have changed the complexion of the race. But another point was the safety car restart. Well, yeah, he, he did his um yeah. his attempt to kind of get into Overlap. Leclerc's head. Yeah, to go kind of alongside Leclerc. And I think his idea with that was kind of to make it so that they were going side by side to the line so he could basically be a bit closer at the restart, which is fine. It's fine to do, but it doesn't work because Leclerc can see you for Stappen. He can see you and knows, Oh, okay. Well, if I go earlier, he's got a compromise line and that's exactly what happened. And Verstappen immediately lost probably seven or eight tenths to Leclerc from that. So it just seemed a bit kind of like, I reckon he was probably, if he wasn't hitting himself down that straight, then he should have been because that was not, not clever at all. In my opinion, I think arguably this is Verstappen's worst race in a long time when it's come to just kind of, thinking about it I think, I think so I, I think he did seem a bit rattled and that also the first uh lap though the first time he had a battle with Leclerc on the run, run up to turn four when Leclerc kind of just snuck ahead when he cut across him Verstappen mm. could have you know broke really late there and always do a Brazil where I know he was in the wrong but he didn't get penalized obviously he I was surprised been. he wasn't a bit more aggressive and didn't try to like you know push him out wide or something he just uh, I don't know if it, I don't know if it's because he wasn't fighting house and it just seemed a bit different from him. Uh, but and it could set the it could 
set the tone for the rest of the season because we saw last year in Imola when Verstappen edged Hamilton out wide and that's what we saw the rest of the season or most of it. So it could be that now Leclerc has laid down that marker that Verstappen mm. is going to be slightly on the back foot but you know, that said, he'll probably just be a bit more attacking, a bit more wise next time. And this is the, this is going to be the first of many wheel-to-wheel wheel, wheel battles that McClure and Verstappen are going to have this year. And that's just, that's, that's just fantastic. Do you think there's any any testament to kind of saying that new sort of, to give it the FIA parlance, refereeing rules in Formula One have helped with that? Niels Visick made a very big statement prior to the race that was kind of um, uh, lost in sort of the hype of the race, but to, to the sort of few of us who are very kind of interested in every little nuance and ounce of, of news and understanding, let's say, of the race. He, um, Niels Wittig was basically, he's the race director, the new race director, I should say, um, for a few of the races, and was basically saying that racecraft, you've got to leave room for a car you can't just ease a car out and it'd be okay which we've kind of grown to understand as normality and and i think i get a kind of impression that that was a bit on the driver's mind um because it did actually seem like a very clean fight i don't know if it was just also non-championship uh level of championship deciding level of incidents but who knows? It could be because a DNF for Red Bull, double DNF for Red Bull, arguably could be one of the most championship-defining events of the season already. It could be. I think I'm going to disagree with that because I think last year we saw Hamilton and Verstappen battle uh, for a bit and they had a super clean fight. I know Verstappen went wide and overtook him off the track and stuff. Hmm. I think it's just because it's the first race, there's a bit of also race rustiness and people just want to get the points, you know, get off the marker. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that it's anything to do with the new rule, new rules or the new race director. I think it's just because it is the first race and the drivers just wanted to, wanted to get points. I, mean, I think if Verstappen got second place, which he, sh- which he should have, I think he would have been okay with that. I don't think, I think he knows that there's 22 races to come and, that there's, and that Red Bull might even outdevelop Ferrari, so he knows there's going to be opportunities. Whereas last year, with what we saw, it was partly because he knew Mercedes had a better car, so he got a bit desperate. <laughs> well, very desperate. So yeah. I don't think it's too much to, to do with the new with the new uh, race director. Uh, I, I think we'll see a return to the more aggressive uh, style of racing soon. I think. Yeah, I think you're right. I think. I think it is a bit more race one. Let's get some points on the board. Mm-hmm. Although we did have a stunning amount of reliability in that race, way more than we all thought. But the most shocking part was, and we've alluded to, to it already, the double DNF for Red Bull in the closing stages of the race. Yes, Max had quite a few issues um, that he was quite vocal about on the radio throughout, but um, Sergio Perez was also hampered by an issue that was race ending for the two of them, which appears to be basically a failure of the fuel pump, with which has been kind of brought in as a spec part by Magneti Morelli uh, to all teams to help with the transition to E10 fuel and just to make it easier to manage fuel flow for the FIA, um, which was famously a very contentious issue with the dodgy, let's say, 2019 Ferrari engine, which has presumably led to this kind of change. I'm I'm putting two and two together and hopefully getting four, but... Um, Let's don't, don't take whatever I say as gospel, dear listener. But anyway, um, but yeah, that was a bit shocking, wasn't it, Nigel? That's really shocking. And Verstappen already had a power steering problem, but this is but his retirement was completely unrelated to that. Uh, there is a bit of well, if you put your tinfoil hat on, you can think all oh, the <laughs> FIA helped Red Bull to win the championship last year, and now this is the return in the serve of it and stuff like that. But it I don't know. I don't. I don't think it's it for, for both cars for both Red Bulls to you know go out of the race within a few mm. laps of each other. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think there must be something in the RBA team which triggered that. Whether that is the E10 fuel uh, or something else, I'm not sure. But I think it's too coincidental that. Uh, yeah, sorry, it's not. 
yeah, it's not too coincidental. That, Much uh, of a coincidence is what you're trying to say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never ignore a coincidence unless you're busy, in which case always <laughs> ignore a coincidence. Um, but yeah, it, you're right. It does seem to be a bit suspect that both of them have had a similar issue within similar timings. And that is something that Christian Horner alluded to straight away um, in an interview with Sky Sports. Um, so I think really considering they've been so candid about it and considering it's such an obvious issue and we already know it's fuel pump i kind of expect it to be a fix that's kind of understood pretty quickly i don't expect it to be a terminal problem but if it does become a terminal problem then i reckon rebel will be fuming and i reckon a few of the other teams will be very angry as well because it it is a spec part and it should be working um whether it reacts different differently to say a petronas fuel to an so fuel um, or Axel Mobil fuel, if you will, through um, Rebel and, as the example, Mercedes with Petronas. Um, we don't know, but probably does because that's how fuels work. And maybe they need to have a few more kind of experiments in the Axel Mobil van at the back of the garage. Um, but I reckon it won't be a terminal problem, but I, I, I hope it isn't for the sake of the championship and for Rebel's sake, because it would be a, a real horrific issue if the one of the few spec parts on these cars is letting them down yeah it's like the tyre blowout last year for Verstappen in, in Baku that's nothing to do with Red Bull that's Pirelli you know and everyone uses the same tyres same rubber it'd be like that so I'd be interested if the FIA what with what they say or with what Red Bull say are they going to say it was something to, to do with Red Bull or was it their fault or whatever so It'll be interesting to see what we'll see to see what the fallout is, but I don't think we're going to hear too much uh, more about this uh, over the coming months. I don't think. No, I don't think we will either. Um, but really, it yeah, it completely took away from any points for Rebel. They would have got thirty points pretty much um, yeah. in fourth and second, and there's every chance they could have they could have got even more because really, really Rebel were all the way through, as much as we've spoken about Ferrari's success and Ferrari's stability in their performance, Rebel were in a threat for the win for pretty much the entire race. Do you think they could have won that race had there been no issues? I think they could have if Verstappen drove a little bit smarter. I mean, he talks about uh, going faster on the outlaps and that he might have got Leclerc up. I don't think that would have happened. Maybe the first time round it could have happened, but the second time, I don't think so. Uh, but then... After that, they tried a free stop, or they were going to do a free stop race when then the safety car came out. And it would have been interesting to see how close Verstappen could have got because it looked like Ferrari were going to commit with Leclerc to stay out and do the two-stop race. Uh, I think Verstappen had about 28 seconds to find in 13, 14 laps, so he would have needed, needed about two seconds per lap. So it would have been a big ask. Well, you never know because the soft tyres were holding up quite well. Leclerc would have been on what, 15, 16 lap old medium tyres. So mm. we, we kind of robbed slightly of a thrilling uh, finish, perhaps. But I think I think there were chances for Red Bull. They just needed the perfect race. Just like we saw with Verstappen last year when he won at Zandvoort and France. He would have needed that kind of race to beat Leclerc, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it would have had to have gone pretty perfect. Um, and you're right, Verstappen needed to drive a little bit better. Um, but I do I do agree that it would have been very interesting to see if Verstappen could have closed. I think there were points in the race where various cars would change tyres and would be three seconds faster than the car, the tyre they were on before. I think that was um, more specifically the Merck losing its hard tyres, which looked very hard to drive and giving them the name. But um, you could say. Um, but... I don't know whether Verstappen's closing speed would have been enough to close what was at some at one point, I think, a 25-second gap after with 10 laps to go. It would have had mm. to have been a kind of three-second a lap, every lap close. And I think I think it would have been tough, um, in my opinion. But I do think yeah. Rebel could have won the race. Um, but Rebel's um failings did allow for a little bit of hmm, what's the word? to describe Mercedes, a little bit of fortune or a little bit of um, saving yeah. face, you could say? Yeah, saving face, yeah. Yeah, yeah because so. Re Rebels, Rebels' double DNF meant that the podium 
place for third was up for grabs and the car behind was Lewis Hamilton's Mercedes. And after sort of a very obvious third best team from Mercedes with Hamilton and Russell just sort of doing their own thing in fifth and sixth for the majority of the race, at the safety car, they closed up and were able to pounce on the stressy Rebels. And on the final lap, when Perez's engine seized and he lost third place, Hamilton was able just to drive around him. And yeah. Hamilton finished third. And he said afterwards it was one of his best third places ever. Well, granted, you yeah. probably can't remember many of the others, which is fair <laughs> enough, because neither can I. Um, <laughs> I. I think his first race, perhaps, probably was a pretty decent third place in 2007, Australia. But other than that, they're Lewis Hamilton results. But yeah, he had an outstanding weekend, Hamilton. He drove just as good as most of the races, or, well, yeah, some of the races that he drove last year. Uh, so I think he couldn't have done much more. I think he maximised the potential of the car, Mercedes. From what I saw and read, they compromised the car a bit by running a bigger rear wing, which is perhaps why the straight line speeds were down. Uh, to try and give themselves a bit more downforce because of the porpoising issues which they're having. So I think from a driving perspective, Hamilton, he's occasionally had a few slow starts to the season, uh, you know, talking two, three, four years ago, but there were no signs of that this time around. He was absolutely brilliant. And if he can just keep picking up thirds and fourths until Mercedes sort their car out, which I think they, they, they will, I think, I thought they, they could have been lapped on Sunday, but they were only, what, I think, 30, 40 seconds behind uh, before yeah. the safety car came out, which was a bit closer than I thought. So I think Alton will be happy. It's just about limiting the damage over, over the next few races and whether how quickly Mercedes can source out their issues. But I think, from, well, we shouldn't read too much into body language, but the team didn't seem too dissatisfied, you know, even after Saturday as well, when they were quite a bit off in, in, in over over one, 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 one lap. So, yeah, uh, I think it's just a case of team when, when Mercedes can come back, I think. I think the body language there is actually a really good point. I think I think you hit on something there because, yeah, they, they weren't really upset with where they were. And I think they understand that they put on a rear wing that's probably, excuse me, that's probably a bit too overcompensating. And then on top of that, in the race, they put on hard tyres, which they knew was a mistake strategically. So I think yeah. that just made them look worse than they were, which takes the pressure off a bit for the future races, because I think really they're going to be a lot better than they were in this weekend. And just they probably could have been a lot better this weekend if they were able to do it again immediately anyway, and be, I don't know, maybe five or six seconds at least closer with both cars. Um, just in general, I, uh, over the course of the Grand Prix distance, if you take it to kind of where the um, safety car window, safety car began in in the tail end of the race. So I think, you know, I think they understand things to do sort of quick fixes to make the car that they have good. And I think they are very close to understanding or at least in development with under, understanding of what needs to be done. Yeah. I think for Mercedes to be that close to Ferrari, who had a pretty much flawless weekend, mm. I think that builds well for them. And I think they can sort out their issues. There's question marks regarding the power unit, whether they've now got the worst engine. Uh, yeah, I'm interested actually to hear what you think on that, Freddie. Do you, do you think Mercedes now have the worst power unit? It goes back to our kind of uh, what we were saying about the rebel issues. It's too much of a coincidence to ignore that the um, that the the bottom cut teams were all Mercedes powered, the Williams, Aston Martins, and the McLaren. But then you take that into account, and you kind of think, well, those cars aren't too awful in comparison to the original Merc anyway. So there's probably more underlying issues. The fact, the fact that the McLaren seemingly can't do anything when it's under lateral load. The fact that the Aston Martin. Um, just doesn't really understand, don't really understand how to drive the car. And the fact that Williams has baked in uh, wind problems in that car as well. So I think there's a lot to kind of take with a caveat there. I think there's a, probably a good way of putting it is that they're all very good engines rather than the Mercedes having the worst engine. I think the Ferrari engine is very good. I think the Honda, the, the Red Bull powertrain is very good. I think the Renault engine has finally 
unlock a little bit of pace as well. So I think the Merc is probably more on a par than out in front. Mm. I think, I don't know, it's just strange that, like, that you said, Williams, Aston Martin, McLaren, that they're all at the bottom of the speed traps. I mean, because surely one of those three teams or all of those three teams can't have built a draggy car. You know, surely one of them would have got it right and built a car that's, you know, quite slick in a straight line. Uh, so it's difficult to say. Perhaps because of Mercedes' problems last year when uh, the engine could only do three or four races in the second half of, of last year, mm. maybe that's on their mind as well. They just want to take the first few races conservat- conservatively. Uh, perhaps that's something, but... Yeah, uh, it's a slight concern for them, but it's not like the miles behind either. They're only, what, seven, eight kilometres behind? So it's something they can make up even with the engine freeze. I think if they bring some uh, reliability upgrades, that might help them uh, in the future. So I don't think they should be too concerned. It's just a trend to keep an eye on, I think, over the next few races. I think you're right. I trend to keep an eye on. I think there is probably an element of conservatism in the first race as well. So let's wait and see. I don't think it's crisis mode whatsoever. Yeah. Um, I think I think that would be making a story out of way too much, if that makes sense. Um, it, it wouldn't surprise me if Mercedes say come Spain, which is in May. You know, I think it's a fifth or sixth race this year. Mm-hmm. If they're right up there and fighting for ball, it really wouldn't surprise me because I think. No, I neither. think they'll be happy with how close they were uh, this weekend. Maybe even Imola, that started the European yeah. season, you could say. Um, so there's every opportunity, even from the fourth race. Well, even from the third race, because Australia is still three weeks away. So who knows? Maybe they've had some things in development that could be already on the way to to Melbourne. We don't know. And, so and if Ferrari team that know what they're doing. And if Ferrari and Rebel are going to take points away from each other, that is going to help Hamilton and Russell massively as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, moving further back from really still the three top teams, we're talking about Mercedes like they're, like they're nowhere, but they are still the third best team, to potentially the, the fourth best team and definitely the third best team in terms of constructive standings, and that is Haas. We've, we've been in a sort of whirlwind of emotion with Haas over the past month and it's gone from huge negativity to huge positivity and it seems to be that huge positivity is soaring for longer because Kevin Magnussen equaled his best finish in a Haas car with fifth place I know absolutely incredible from Magnussen to uh, just have what one and a half days of testing pre-season testing compared to everyone else half the amount of everyone else to jump into that car beat Schumacher in qualifying and then in the race, he looked pretty promising as well. He managed his tyres perfectly. He was always right up there. It was just a typical midfield performance that we'd normally see of someone like Norris or Gasly last year, except this time it was Magnussen in a Haas. I mean, <laughs> who would have thought that, you know, two, three, two, three weeks ago? Absolutely no one. So he did a sterling job. I think he's only going to get more comfortable in the car as well. So uh, it's just... What, what can you say? I think I'm just so happy for the team because over the last 12, 18 months, they've had a horrible time. Last year must have felt so, so long for them to be running out mm. the back every single race. And now the third in the constructors is just incredible. Shirak as well was very close to taking a point. Uh, they tried the gamble at the end by not pitting. It didn't quite pay off. Well, I think the it classic was worth, class gamble. <laughs> yeah, I think it was worth, the, worth trying. Uh, but I think it has. The car just looks good as well. It it, it looks like it's handling well. The Ferrari uh, engine has obviously improved o- over the winter. So from a load of negative storylines regarding Haas, they're now into a massive positive emotion and mood. The team have got to be feeling so, so good right, 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 right now. Yeah, oh, definitely. And you can tell that just by looking at their, <laughs> just looking at, even one picture of that team and they're ecstatic, they're over the moon. Looking at all of the social media output from that team, they seem to have posted more um, and more tweets just in general in comparison to the whole of last year where it was just considered considerably a more toxic environment, whereas now it's just it's just oozing posi- positivity and, and possibility. Like you, it's, 
Haas became obviously a bit of a joke, like usually a backmarker team does. And it's kind of like, I can't believe Haas are doing well. It's kind of like, well, actually, yeah, they're, they're doing well because they're a proper F1 team, they're a proper race team, and they've got a real good bunch of people in Banbury and Marinello where they're based, and Canapolis, if you really want to believe that. And so they've got, you know, they've got opportunity with this car, an opportunity with this season, and with this driver lineup with Kevin Magnussen and Mick Schumacher. And Mick would have been in the points. He was just had he had a big downforce points loss um, from his contretemps with Esteban Ocon on the first lap, which might I add, he did a very cool 360. But anyway, um, he held that very nicely, did Mick. Um, and other than that, he would have been running in the points. He was running in the points for a lot of the race and did a very good race considering it's just K-Mag also did a fantastic race and they deserve their fifth and 12th places. 11th place yeah. for Mick, 12th place. Still a career yeah, best. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, I think he'll have to be a bit... I think the only thing with Schumacher is, say it was still Schumacher and Mazepin, we'd be, we'd be saying, oh my word, Schumacher's got out of Q2, uh, got out of Q1, he's got into Q2 and uh, Mazepin probably wouldn't <laughs> have, have got out of Q1. Uh, yeah. So we'd be, we'd be singing Schumacher's praises, but instead we got Magnussen who got into Q3. So I think it just shows that a weak driver lineup can make a massive difference when the, when the field is so close and so competitive. So I think that's one thing Schumacher's got to keep an eye on. But if his past uh, career is anything to go by, he should come into the season a bit more, he should get more comfortable because that's how he won, won the F2 Championship because early on in the season yeah. he wasn't oh, yeah. great, but then he found his feet and then he was really strong in the back end mm. of, the, of the season. So we could see something similar, uh, but at the moment it's Magnussen who's, who's, who's leading that team forward. Oh yeah, there's definitely an argument to be made for put a good driver in a car because they will do well. Um, and it sounds simple, but... You look at Nico Hulkenberg out-qualifying Lance Stroll as well. Yeah. Lance Lance has been driving that car in two pre-season tests, one at this track, and he was still out-qualified by an unfit Nico Hulkenberg in his mm. mid-30s. So you look at that and you kind of think, yeah, okay, you know, a classy, fast driver will always be, well, for the best bet, well, your best bet is that they will be a classy, fast driver, and that's what Hulk and Magnussen have proved. And it's something we wouldn't have wouldn't have believed weeks ago which is very fun and wonderful and it's nice to see both of those drivers have a, have a go frankly um but another driver who it was nice to see have a go was Valtteri Bottas who led Alfa Romeo's charge to a double points finish Woo! hooray Alfa Romeo um and hooray for Valtteri because you know there were a lot of wry smiles when he, he qualified in the same position as he would have done in a Mercedes um in sit alongside Hamilton, and he finished in the same place. Yeah, and he didn't have a good start as well. He dropped, to, I think, 14th after a horrible launch. He just didn't get going. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think he said that there was a problem at the start, but then it didn't matter anyway because he recovered and he probably could have only finished one place higher ahead of Magnussen, perhaps. But mm. so he didn't lose too much. Uh, so I think yeah, Bottas to recover. He's still got a few problems to when he's following and overtaking cars, which uh, still bugs me a bit. But if you're looking at the result, the Alpha have to be very happy with that because in testing, I think they did the least amount of laps over the two tests combined. Mm -hmm. So for them to be six and ten with with, with Joe, that is fantastic, uh, and they've got a great baseline, just like has to carry this form in, in over the rest of, of the season. It's just whether they can develop their car the right way, can will other teams catch up and, and stuff like that. But for those two teams, Haas and Alpha, to climb up the order, it's just great for the sport, I think, just to see different teams, different names up there fighting for points every single weekend. Yeah, it's, um, Alpha have scored nearly half the points that they've scored over the past two seasons in one race. And that says a lot, really, because you're right that Bottas was able to fight back to sixth. And that's a performance we haven't seen from Bottas in a long time, a fighting through performance, but stuff that we've kind of got more, seen a bit more from him since he's had this alpha contract announced and he's had that kind of 
mental boost that he's been very candid about. And I think really it has made a difference to his racing. He did get a bit stuck behind Sonoda at one point, but that was it really. That was the only kind of position where Bottas seemed to have to fight a bit more to get through everything else. He seemed to make swift work and make good progress. And I think the same can be said for his teammate, Joe Guan Yu, who also had a dire start, ended up yeah. 20th after sector one. And then by the start, by the end of the foot, the start of the second lap, he'd already made up two more places and back into 18th and finished in the points. Yeah, which I'm sure I'm sure is something that you're delighted about, Freddie. <laughs> oh, oh, I am, I am. I'm a, I'm really on the Joe Guan Yu hype train. Um I've I've probably started at the Joe Guan Yu hype train. <laughs> but I think, yeah, I think we all of us kind of thought he's got the pay driver tag, but he's actually he is a capable driver, he is a dependable driver. And he proved that very nicely in this race and proved he could race, proved he could drive consistently and fast and work the tyres well and did that and, you know, raced to 10th place. He didn't just get handed 10th place. I mean, he obviously got handed the points by the Rebel DNFs, but he overtook a few people throughout the race and even got past Lewis Hamilton at one point. Yeah. And his race lap times as well, I was keeping a close eye on them. They were really close to Bottas. He was matching Bottas for most of the race. And this is a driver who's one of the most experienced drivers on the grid is, is, is Bottas. So for Joe to do that as a rookie on his debut, he couldn't have advised to watch more. And I think he deserved a point because he drove brilliantly. And even through pre-season testing, I think other than spin on, I think was it the last day in Barcelona when he spawned and caused a red flag? Other than that... Mm. He looks like, you know, that he belongs on the grid. He, he, he's, he's, he's just been brilliant for someone who many people thought would be, you know, well down the field. So uh, I think he'll just take loads of confidence from it. And I think it wouldn't surprise me if he starts to close the gap and that he yeah. starts pushing Bottas because his race pace was brilliant. Yeah, his race pace was excellent. You're bang on. I think there's a lot to be said because he's come through the Alpine Driver Academy, that that has helped him because um, there was a big, new, if you're into your junior series news, there's a big uh, moment when uh, F2 driver, um, uh, Jack Doohan, I always say nearly say Mick Doohan, that's his dad, Jack Doohan, <laughs> um, left the Red Bull Driver Program, where I think they wanted to boost him a bit more and give him a bit more funding and move to the Alpine Driver Program because they give a lot more kind of coaching to the drivers. And I think there's a lot to be said that, Joe Guan Yu's had a good bit of F1 running in the same way that Oscar Piastri has, the same way that um, Christian Lungard had um, as part of the Alpine Driver Academy. And I think that's really worked for him. Um, but obviously, this isn't a Driver Academy podcast. Um, but I'm going to use it as a segue to talk about Alpine, who got a double points finish, uh, one of the few teams who were able to, and got seventh with Esfan Ocon and ninth with Fernando Alonso. Um, weird, but kind of good weekend for them. Yeah, I think I'm not sure if they'll be happy or not happy because the kind of yeah. word it were last year. That I think that the, the the only team who's not really got closer or dropped uh, pace compared to last year. So it's a tricky one for Alpine. I can't help but feel that this thought they would be a bit further up the grid. But that said, after the first what four or five days of testing when they were not looking very good at all. They're probably satisfied with the results. So it's tricky to say, probably. I think I'm interested to see how they go on different tracks. I think they'll be really encouraged by the engine because a straight line speed looks like it's right up there after a deficit last year. So, uh, yeah, mixed feelings despite the double points, I think. I agree, mixed feelings. I think without uh, the five-second penalty Ocon got for uh, tagging Mick Schumacher in the first lap, I think he could have been up there with Bottas and uh, Magnussen fighting for, well, maybe definitely Bottas, fighting for a higher points finish. Um, Alonso did look like he was struggling in the race, a good qualifying pace, but there was a few moments that seemed to be, whenever you they cut to the Alpines, they seemed to cut to Ocon being right behind him. So I kind of think Ocon just had a lot more pace than we were able to see in that race as well. Um, but so I think maybe there could be more to come from Alpine or maybe there could be um, more to come from both drivers. I mean, we know Ocon seems to be a driver who just gets better and better wherever he is, looking at his racing point days and 
uh, Renault, then Alpine. And now Alp- this is the first time he's really had a third season to show his improvement again. So I think Ocon could be signaling that he's actually very, very, very talented this year um, with this performance. But let's not count our chickens before they've hatched. Um, but yeah, I, I, I thought Alpine did all right. So hopefully they can carry that on through the season and hopefully they understand that I like a pink car and keep that more. But that <laughs> won't happen. Um, and I, I think it, w- it should be a surprise as well if they are the fourth best team, uh, say, this weekend in general, in a mm. couple of weeks uh, in Australia. Because I think they've got that potential. They've got the driver lineup as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think... Overall, they've got a good baseline, which is what you want with new with new reg, 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 regulations as well. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's all I, 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 I had to say. <laughs> yeah, now we get to the more disappointing teams on the grid, um, and we're going to go straight through the jugular, McLaren. Um, after Barcelona, everyone's been like, McLaren, they could be in the top group here they're doing all right it looks nice on the track everything's good everything's cushy uh everything was not cushy nigel yeah. this might this might sound harsh but i don't think it's acceptable for a team like mclaren to be to have the slowest car in the race they were mm. so poor it was even worse than qualifying and qualifying was pretty bad in itself uh where do we start i mean they did look strong in barcelona in barcelona testing but Perhaps that's because they didn't have the porpoising issues, which everyone was suffering from. And the reason for that is because they don't have much downforce. So I think that's my theory, theory of it, that the car doesn't have enough downforce, so then it isn't porpoising. But then in the slow turns, it is really bad. The car was understeering like crazy, so the Norris and Ricardo were waiting to get on the throttle, so that's why they're losing time. And then that costs you all the way down the straight, uh, and then for them, they were on par with Ferrari last year. Ferrari, look where they are. They're one, one, one and two, and Ferrari and McLaren at last, essentially. So it's just something has gone wrong because they've been building towards 2022, just like every other team. And for a team like them with the history, the people they've got, they've got some fantastic people. I've always rated James Key, but it looks like they have got something badly wrong the car just it almost looks basic it there's not much innovation there compared to say alfa romeo and haas and ferrari and their ball of course it just looks like they've underestimated uh the downforce they could recover compared to last year and for that to happen it's just not right it's something that's gone badly wrong so it's going to be a really long season for them. And the problem is, even if they manage to sort it out a little bit, they're going to be on the back foot next year, the year after, the year after that. So it's just it's just frustrating because I want to see McLaren do well because of the success they've had in the past. They've got Norris, they've got Ricardo, you know, Norris in particular, decided a, a, a new contract. And he's a top driver, yet he's going to struggle to score points, it looks like. So I don't know what they can do. They might have to have a complete redesign of this car if they don't think there's the potential there, just like I think Aston Martin and Williams might be doing that as well. And if they're going to do that, then they can probably just forget the next two years, quite frankly. It's going to be a really long road ahead for them. Yeah, they're treading water as well. Ever since they arrived in Bahrain, they've been kind of questioned. There's been question marks there since we kind of unraveled that test um, where Lando did every lap, but still wasn't able to do many. And it's in every session they're doing something different. FP1, they just did, they looked like they were doing well because they're on soft tyres. And FP2, they were then on medium tyres. And then at the start of the race, they're on medium tyres and everyone else on soft tyres. And it's kind of like they're just doing everything differently and like they're kind of clutching at straws a bit and treading water and it's it's like run before you it's like they're trying to run before they can walk with this car and I think there needs to be kind of a step back a kind of an evaluation some conclusions rather than some hypotheses and they need to understand this car and understand what's going on because Norris was happy with his with his qualifying he seemed to think there was probably a bit more pace in that car but who knows it did look like they were 
they were really struggling to get anywhere. And I think Ricardo's pace was, he's only ahead of his, of Norris because Norris um, was in a position to do some more aggressive strategies at the end. Ricardo was, I think on the road was 20th at one point, crapping with Latifi. So it's, it's really not, not playing to their driver's strengths and not working for them at all. And it is sad. You're right. They've got brilliant people, but yeah, it looks, it, it look, it's a dark, murky road ahead for these guys. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I thought Corfan was bad in itself, but the race was even worse. They were at times three to four seconds slower than the leaders. And I know they were in, in traffic, but even in clean air, they were still often yeah. about two seconds behind, which for a team like them, it's just, it's just not good. And I don't see how they can recover from this. I know, I know it's, it's only been one track, uh, one race. So, but there were no positives, absolutely no positives. Uh, yeah, I fear it could be a bit like, was it 2018? I think they had a pretty bad year then as well. Yeah. I feel like it, it could be a bit like that where they're just at the back. Uh, well, they shouldn't be, because like I said, look at Ferrari. They've gone the other way. McLaren uh, it, you know, are a complete contrast to them, so... Not good, not good. Other teams that were expected to kind of jump a bit, a bit more than the falling back um, was Aston Martin. Um, obviously, no Sebastian Vettel this weekend. We've already alluded to Nico Hulkenberg doing a decent performance um, and Lance mm. Stroll being, leaving a bit to be desired. Um, 12th for Stroll, 17th for Hulk. Um, it seemed to be all race that Hulk's car was just overheating, overheating, overheating. They couldn't really get, un, get a handle on how to run that car in race conditions um or maybe they were just having a few issues with it but other than that it just seems to be a complicated weekend for aston martin yeah and after so much promise in pre-season pre-season testing they did not look good it looks like they probably showed the full hand in testing and the Mm. other teams are now sandbags are off and (laughs) they've vaulted ahead and the problem for these teams, Aston Martin, Williams, McLaren, is with the budget cap, it's going to be much, much trickier than previous years, say 2009 or 2017 or 2014, to claw back the performance deficit that they've got because you are restricted with developments and what you can do. And then if those upgrades don't work, then you just get into this horrible cycle of, you spent money on something and then, and then it doesn't work and then you have to think again and, and redesign and stuff like that. So you're in a really tricky place. Uh, I think this year is probably the worst year to have a bad car. So for these three teams, uh, they, you know, it's not, 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 not only this year could be, could be bad, but the next three or four years even. Yeah, I, I, I think that's... Exactly right, and I think um, it's Williams... the harsh re- 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 reality of F1 at that moment. You know, someone's got to be at the back. Some teams have to get it wrong, and unfortunately, it, it, it's these three great, great teams. Yeah, it is, and the third one being Williams, who um, unfortunately, you know, there was a kind of a lot of hope that they'd be able to step up a bit further, but it looks like the baked in problems in that team at the moment are continuing. Um, hard to drive cars that are. Not yeah, kind of having to sort of think about them before you can get a lot out of them. Although Alex Albon did do a very, very good job in qualifying, considering. Um, but his race was undone by the car, let's be honest. Um, and Latifi looked nowhere in comparison to Albon. Um, and it's, it's essentially just a rehash of the same points that you know they need to just get on top of it and make it work, and they just haven't, and that's why they're at the back, and that's just bad but I mean we were saying before this weekend you know there's an opportunity for every car at some point this year to be able to score points um, who knows maybe that will still be the case we've got a lot more a lot more different tracks to come to a lot more different conditions to come to so maybe um, it is too early to write everything off but there's a lot of evidence pointing in the direction for these guys yeah and you know we've got Saudi Arabia coming up we've got a different track perhaps that will play into the advantage for Back at the front, who do you think Jeddah will suit and what are you expecting, Freddie, from, <laughs> from, from that? I don't see any reason why we can't, why we won't have Red Bull and Ferrari at the front again. 
Um, mm. Particularly um, Ferrari, who seem to be a plug-in and play car. Rebel seem to be, well, I've said that a few times, Rebel seem to be following yeah. suit in that regard. They, were, they just seem to be adding bits to the car that just make it better and better. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's a few more things in the pipeline for Rebel and they've got a, them two duking it out. I reckon the, the form will be relatively similar because it's such a close gap between both um, races. The fact that we've only, as we record this, we've got four days until FP1 again. So I reckon we're going to have and a similar condition where you only really have one representative practice session. So with it being a night race in Jeddah, I reckon it's going to be pretty similar as a form book. But that will all be thrown away because the Jeddah track, if it's anything to go with last time, will be a little bit balmy. So we could have a few more odd moments throughout the race, let's say. And the closest is up to field as well. We saw in Bahrain, the drivers are making the crucial difference. You know, who can put it on the line when it matters most? And Jeddah, the drivers are going to make even more <laughs> of a difference because we saw... Some incredible driving last year. I mean, think back to Verstappen's Q3 lap one on the last corner. He was on for a lap of the gods quite frankly with any last at the last turn in Q3. So we could see the drivers right up against the walls, pushing the limits. It could be fantastic. And uh, yeah, probably let's hope the race isn't as controversial and crazy <laughs> as, as last year. Let's hope we get a bit more pure racing this time. Yes, now, I agree. Yeah. Really interested to see how the teams and drivers go at a different track as well, street track. Uh, yeah, it should be exciting. Who's your tip? Who's your tip? Give us a driver, uh, not a team. I'm going to go Leclerc, Leclerc again. I'm going to say he, he does the double. I, I was going to say that, so that's boring. Um, <laughs> yeah, Leclerc again, I agree, Leclerc. I think he's going to be riding the wave and... I think he's going to be in a bit of a sweet spot. I think there's going to be a few good performances throughout the grid, and that's just how races are. Anyway, um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see you guys again, hopefully um, with Adam um, joining our number for a review of the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. Hopefully it's all um, very good and very safe, and we hope to have a fantastic race and to continue the trend of 2022 Formula One being a little bit exciting. Thank you very much for taking the time to listen to us. You can um, check us out on Twitter at Winging F1, or you can check us out on many an audio platform um, or on YouTube if you want to see our beautiful faces. And we'll see you again soon. So thank you very much, everybody. Goodbye.